Jesus Preaches to Spirits in Prison. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hello and welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Find your place in 1 Peter chapter 3 as we get ready to deep dive into a rather difficult and controversial passage. After the death and burial of Jesus, we learn about the activity of Jesus. He preached to spirits in prison. Where and when did he do this? Well, let's find out right now as Pastor Ed brings today's message. Open your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 18 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Jesus Preached to the Spirits in Prison. Jesus Preached to the Spirits in Prison. And we'll see what that looks like in just a moment. Now our study last time was so encouraging as we learned a very important doctrinal truth. I even taught you a new theological word. We learned about the vicarious atonement of Jesus. And it was right there in verse 18. Notice with me again in 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 18. We learned that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus suffered once, not twice, not perpetually, but once. We live today by faith in His finished work. We don't trust in a church. We don't trust in an institution. We don't trust in a man. We don't even trust in a, in a series of teachings. We trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is His work not our perpetual works. He's finished the work of salvation. And I know this is repeated so much, but it, you can't hear it enough. You are saved, forgiven of your sins, brought into a right relationship with God, not because you are good, not because you do good, not because you're religious or you do many religious things. None of that. The key to your relationship with God is the suffering, vicarious, atonement of Jesus Christ. He died the just for the unjust, you and me. And we are saved and forgiven because of his suffering, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And it really is a sad thing to me and grieves my heart because I know that many churches, many organizations teach that there is no way you can be assured of your salvation. And they just keep you hanging and keep you hanging and keep you hanging. And, and that, what that does is keep you on a place of, I want to do good. I've got to do good. And you live under an environment of guilt and shame and condemnation. And you never really have that assurance. And some go so far to say is you will never have that assurance until you meet God face to face. Well, let me just say for many people, that will be too late meeting God face to face. Because you can do many moral good things and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And you won't find that out until you meet Jesus face to face when he says, hey, you, you, here you are, account for your life. And you, and you will respond, well, I did this for you and I did this for you and I did this for you and, and I lived my life for you. And Jesus says, no, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. It's not the heart of God to control you and to manipulate you and to guilt you into some sort of perpetual religious action so that in many ways your conscience is, is appeased, but your spirit is troubled. A spirit is always troubled. The inside of us is always troubled when we're distant from God. And you know, it's possible to be in church. It's possible to be very uh, active uh, religiously. It's possible to read the Bible. It's possible to pray with people. It's possible to do good deeds and still be entirely lost. And it's God's heart for you to come to this place with just this one verse. And this is what we studied last time. And I'd encourage you to pick it up if you weren't with us. The object of faith is not a human, not a teacher, not a church, not a movement, not a priest. It's not even faith. The object of our faith is a person. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, jot it down in verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run our race with endurance that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 18, so powerful, so easy to understand, so plain, it's a beautiful, I wish the whole Bible was as easy to understand as verse 18, because when we come to verse 19, not so easy to understand. Notice in verse 19, by whom also he, speaking of Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. This also is an antitype, which now saves us, namely baptism. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now, some have called this the most difficult paragraphs in all the Bible. And so let's jump in and see what God has for us, beginning in verse 19. So we have the vicarious atonement, the suffering of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the death and resurrection. And then in verse 19, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. So we move to one of the most precious, clearest, wonderful verses in the Bible to a tough one. But I don't want you to be intimidated when you're reading through the Bible and you come to passages that you don't understand. Perhaps even after today's Bible study, it may still not be as clear as you want it to be, but we allow the Word of God to come into our lives. We allow the Word of God. We receive it as is, and we're not 
entirely, don't be so entirely or quickly discouraged because you don't understand everything. It's okay that you don't understand, especially some of these challenging passages. On the other hand, though, we can gain greater understanding as we're studying it together. God has a reason for us. He has a lesson for us to learn. It says here in verse 19 that Jesus preached to spirits in prison. So the question is, where and when did he do this? So let's walk together through this. Let's go back to the time. Turn your Bible now to Luke chapter 23. And let's look at the time where Jesus was hanging on a Roman cross. Jesus, now we're going to go back to the time right before his death. He's hanging on the cross, and he looks over at one of the others that is hanging next to him. Notice Luke 23 in verse 42. Luke 23, verse 42. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43. And Jesus said to him, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44. It was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So after Jesus dies here, and after he died, where was his body? Well, we learn in the scriptures that after he died, he was placed into a tomb. And there his body lay for three days according to his promise. Well, what's his promise? Turn over to Matthew now. Notice with me in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, in verse 38. Jesus' body was put into the tomb. And then some of the scribes and the Pharisees, this is Matthew 12, 38, answered and saying, Teacher, we wanted you to see a sign. We want to see a sign for you. And he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So where did Jesus' spirit go? Well, we know that Jesus' spirit went to paradise. In Romans chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9. As you put pieces together. It says, now this he ascended. Speaking of Jesus. He says, now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So we have the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and then the activity of Jesus. You'll remember I mentioned even this last past Easter in our, in our message together that when Jesus declared it is finished, he didn't say he was finished. So he was referring to a specific event or a specific finished work, which would be, we learn, the work of salvation. But Jesus wasn't finished. There was still much more that would flow from his life. So his body is in the tomb. His spirit, his spirit is moving in ministry. Notice now Luke chapter 16. Come over with me to Luke chapter 16. 
So we often think of Jesus just being laid in the tomb and no activity. And that was just done. But notice with me in Luke 16, verse 22, it says, well, pick up in verse 19, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And what makes this parable unique is that Jesus uses names. He doesn't use names in any other parable, which leads us to conclude that this is a true story. And that it is a true story of exactly what's, it's like, it's like a peek into eternity. Like, like we're able to see what the eternal state is like. So here he is. He says, there was a certain rich man, verse 19, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that as the beggar died, he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Mark that, Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that may he dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he's comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, verse 26, between us and you is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from here there pass to us. And they said, well, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send them to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to them, they have Moses and the prophets. Basically, they have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Before Jesus died, no one ever experienced the removal of sin. The sacrificial system of the old covenant was merely a covering of sin, not a removal. That's why every year the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies with the blood of the sacrifice and the scapegoat, and he would go in and spread the, the blood on the mercy seat on behalf of the people, and he would come on and put his bloody hands on the scapegoat, and it would run away, being a symbolism not only of the blood that the mercy seat representing Jesus Christ would be the covering of sin, but pointing forward to the removal of sin with the scapegoat. So prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, men and women lived under a different covenant or agreement with God. And they lived their life looking forward to the promise of the Savior before his death and resurrection. They could not go directly to heaven. Why? Because Jesus had not yet died for their sins. He had not yet removed. In all these years, his, their sins were covered and overlooked. But there would come a day promised by God where the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world and bring complete justification, complete sanctification, and complete glorification of their lives. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 it says, These all died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having them seen them afar off, they were assured of them 
And they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those that died before Christ didn't experience what you experience. And so the blood of Jesus was not yet shed or experienced. When those under the old covenant died, they went to the good side of Hades. And you go ahead, where do you get that from? Luke chapter 16. You have Hades separated into two compartments. You have Abraham's bosom, and you have the torment side of Hades, or you could say that, and there's a great gap fixed between them. You have Abraham's bosom, and you have Hades, and there's a great gap. And you have people that are on Abraham's bosom receiving comfort and encouragement, and you have those in torments um, absolutely overwhelmed that their friends and family they, they, they are still alive and they had conscious understanding that they weren't right in relationship with God. The Bible tells us that Jesus went and preached to them and led them from their captivity. Not only that, the prison was death by which people were bound. And the other side, those that are separate from God, they are still there. So that I know that we use hell and Hades kind of interchangeably, you know, especially in, in our slang and hopefully not our slang anymore, but perhaps where you might be so mad at someone, you tell them what, go to, don't say it out loud, but you know what I mean, go to hell. And we think that in our minds that the Bible just teaches that that is the end, that hell or Hades is just the end. But in reality, a careful reading of the scriptures will show you that the end of Revelation, Hades and death is thrown where? Into the lake of fire for eternal separation. So Hades or hell is like a temporary holding place awaiting the fullness of the plan of God. It once held two groups of people. It held those that were righteous in Christ or righteous in God awaiting the fulfillment of Messiah and it, on, on the torment side and the Hades side, the, the place of torments holds the people that rejected God. And today they're still there awaiting final judgment. All the unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment and give account for their life. The books will be open and questions asked. The question I believe that will be asked is at the great white throne is what did you do with my son Jesus. Then those who found in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth that Jesus clearly taught. Peter adds that there's another group of people that were preached to, or not people, but creative beings, another group of beings that were preached to, where it says that he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient. Many people believe that these are the Nephilim and the fallen angels and those that are held. There's a specific group of fallen angels that are tied up and awaiting final judgment. I also think that this could, be, this could also refer to his releasing of those taking captivity captive and bringing them into the present, releasing captivity and taking away their captivity and bringing them into the presence of God was also an act of preaching so that not necessarily is he preaching in the sense of giving a second chance because that's very important to understand. There, there is no second chance for the fallen angels and there is no second chance after death for those who reject Jesus Christ. There are no second chances. 
It's, it's, there, there are none. There's no purgatory. There's no secondary place. There's no levels of heaven. There's no places where you're going to get a second chance. The Bible says that now is the time of salvation, that it's appointed. That's what the Bible says. It is appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment to give account for your life. So don't let anyone tell you, well, you know, if you get it kind of right here, you'll get another chance after death. There are no other chances. So this preaching here, even though we use the word preach like evangelistically, like giving a person a chance for, uh, uh, to believe in the gospel, that's not. Jesus comes with absolute authority and he declares his finished work. And those that were awaiting his finished work, what a moment that must have been. And I don't think, even as you study this, I don't think this happened like he sat down, he, he came down into Hades and had everyone sit down. And every, I think it was instantaneous, just like the rapture is going to be. In a blink of like it was a deliverance. It was an ex- expectation. It was already in a place of the old covenant, the, the living under the old covenant by faith. Abraham's bosom was already a place of soothing and warmth and joy and hope. But Jesus now brings them the fulfillment of all that they had waited for. Jesus descends into Hades, not to suffer, not to pay the price of sin, but to deliver. Jesus doesn't give those in torments a second chance. He empties Abraham's bosom and takes them directly into the presence of the Father. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 now. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm sure after this instruction, everything is so much clearer for you now. (laughs) But now you have reference. It is a question that comes up from time to time of people that are critics of the Bible or people that have been taught differently on this. I mean, there is a popular teaching today. I haven't heard it so much, uh, but there is a popular teaching today on, on uh, Christian television that says, you know, Jesus had to go down into Hades and fight all the demonic realm and fight for salvation. And that's not true. It was finished where? On the cross. Jesus declared it to be finished. They took him down and buried him. And three days later, according to the scripture, he rose again. And yet there was a lot of activity that needed to take place. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. We just described that. And he gave gifts of men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And then verse 10, he who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then at the ascension, you know, the Holy Spirit comes days later and the gifts are given through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And all the faithful believers who died waiting for the promise from Adam to the thief on the cross were taken out of Hades. That's why today, as you read through the scriptures, why today paradise is not described as being in the lower parts of the earth. Today, paradise is described as being where? In heaven. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Paradise is now in the presence of God. Well, we hope that all makes sense to you now and clears up some of the confusion. And we'll hear more about it next time on Abounding Grace. So be sure to tune in next week for that. Pastor Ed Taylor's message is titled, Jesus Preached to Spirits in Prison. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. 
Maybe you're looking for a good book to go through as we begin a new year. Well, here in the month of January, we picked out an excellent one written by Lee Strobel. It's The Case for Heaven. We all want to know what awaits us on the other side of death. Do we just cease to exist, as some suggest, or reincarnate? Is there a heaven and hell? Much like a journalist, author Lee Strobel interviews experts about the evidence for the afterlife. You'll receive answers to your questions about what happens after we die. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Case for Heaven, our number 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we begin another year of delivering God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from 1 Peter. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.